If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning, everyone. This is Kelly. I am so happy you're here with us this morning for our very first Sunrise Project weekly call. Our intention today is that we can find a moment to share and learn from one another and that we will all find some solace and peace as we go through our various journeys with our children, with our boys, and some of us have girls, as I've heard from many of you. The intention of the Sunrise Project is really to create a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and our mutual desire to heal our families, our children, and ourselves. I'd like to open up by reading a serenity prayer that I actually wear around my neck every day. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. For our first call this morning, I'm so delighted to introduce you to Dr. Linda McGee. She is a clinical psychologist with a massive amount of experience in this area specifically. She also has her own six foot six man child who is fantastic. And most importantly, she's a very dear friend of mine that I met uh, 17 years ago through a group called Sister Moms. So I'm gonna turn it over to Linda to talk about um, for the topic for this week, recognizing signs of trouble. And I'd like to just also say, if anybody wants to share, feel free to jump in. If you don't and you just want to listen, that's fine too. Um, but this is an open forum. We want it to feel safe and confidential. Um, that's why we did not allow video uh, for people. But at the same time, we also want it to feel like it's a space that if you do have a question or a thought or something you'd like to share, it's that time that you can do that. So I'm going to turn it over to Linda McGee. Good morning. As Kelly said, she and I met many years ago, and the reason why I pushed her and urged her to start the Sunrise Project is because in my clinical practice, I was seeing two things. I was seeing how men in my office who were fathers and husbands, and I saw the pain that they were suffering from and the mood disorders. So they would be in my office, usually as a father of a client, because I treat children, boys between uh, 
roughly 15 and 25. And then I'd see younger children and they would go from these younger hopeful children to these men that I was seeing in my office. So that's why I'm here today. And I just urge you all, I'm gonna leave plenty of time uh, for questions, but that we have a respectful dialogue. This is a safe space for people to come and talk about what's been bothering them, what we've kept hidden. And I just want us to keep it a safe space. So to get to the signs of trouble, I want to talk a little bit about how um, a quarter of black men and men in general will suffer from mood disorders, but two thirds of them will not get treatment. So that's actually why we're here. And um, another statistic is that the average time between the onset of a mental illness and the treatment of the mental illness in this country is 10 years. So we have people that are having problems and then not getting treatment. So what are the signs of trouble? One, you have physical signs, like your child may have differences in their sleeping patterns, their eating patterns. They used to be enthusiastic about school, but they're no longer enthusiastic about school. They may have mental signs of a mood disorder or, or problems. And those uh, mental signs could be they seem sad, they're withdrawn. What we don't talk about a lot is that boys particularly will not talk. And sometimes we see mood disorders via their actions in school. We also see them being angry instead of sad. So in teenagers, a lot of times mood disorders manifest themselves via anger and striking out. So many of you will ask, how does that look different from just being a regular teenager? And I say to you that, that if that's a matter of degree. If you have a child who previously wasn't blowing up or who previously wasn't having angry outbursts, but he's starting to have outrageously large um, outbursts, then that's a sign of trouble. So you look at the severity, how long it goes on, and those signs to know that it's not a sign of typical teenagehood. And finally, there are social signs of trouble, where your child might have had lots of friends and he starts to withdraw. He may start to hang out with children that previously he would not have hung out with children who might have signs of problems themselves. But you can detect from my list that all of these things are changes, right? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The last thing that I want to talk about is if you have a child who took pleasure in an activity or a, an event, but no longer does so, the, the clinical term for that is anhedonia, like he was a swimmer or he liked to read, but he's no longer doing it, that's a sign of, of trouble. So we combine these physical, mental, and social signs of a mental illness, and we also look at life events. Did you go through a recent divorce? Did your child have a death in the family? Did you have a whole bunch of things going on at the same time? Like the child switched schools, you moved homes, Believe it or not, those can cause stressors in children. Obviously, there are societal pressures right now. When you look at statistics on Black men, uh, we think that the society judges them to be older, menacing, that they need less support. Um, so they judge them to be mature beyond the ages and, and judge them to be more menacing than they are. And obviously the racial climate in this country 
is right at present is not helping us. And economic opportunity is another thing that puts pressure on our boys. One thing that I do want to emphasize here is that there are barriers in our own communities to treatment. And one of those is fear of stigma. And especially in African-American communities and communities of color, there are fears that their child will be stigmatized. And some of those fears are well-founded. And also parents are facing their own uh, fears and anxieties, depending on how they were brought up. And honestly, help is not that readily available. So you have to look for help. You have to reach out for help. And sometimes it's not that easy to do. And so one of the things that I want to have questions about is how to reach out for help. So I'm happy to help you with that. So finally, so that I, so as I not um, monopolize the time, is what do you do as a parent? You have a child that's sitting in front of you who is in pain and you have no idea what to do. First, I want to implore you, empower you, urge you, exhort you to trust your own instincts. If your instincts are telling you that there are problems, listen to it. I have parents all the time say, you know, I just felt like something was off and I'm so, I feel so bad that I didn't get help earlier. So I want you all to trust your instincts as parents. You have observed your children year after year. You are the foremost experts on them. So please trust your instincts. Secondly, listen to what others are telling you. And I'm saying to you, a lot of times, unfortunately, I have people bring me boys who are in their late teens or about to go to college. And I will inevitably ask them, what, when was the first sign of trouble? And I get told a lot, well, the first and second grade teacher told me that he seemed sad or he withdrew from others. And so I'm saying to you, I understand that in our educational system, we don't always trust our teachers. But what I want you all to hear from me is when others are telling you, especially a teacher who may have seen 7,000 eighth graders, as opposed to you, you've only seen one, to listen to them. And even if you have doubts about you don't necessarily trust what they say, I want you to reach out to your pediatrician, your mental health professional, a school counselor to talk it through. So please listen and heed what people are telling you about your child. Get advice early. If you have a child who's anxious or depressed or may have some other form of mental illness, if you get advice early, you can work with children on coping mechanisms, on uh, strategies. You can work with the parents, child, schools as a team, which is what I do in my practice. Um, because it takes everyone working together and the child to figure out ways for them to cope with their world. I try to normalize their feelings, but that all happens if you bring me or you bring to some other professional an eight-year-old as opposed to an 18-year-old. Because what happens is that the child begins to lose confidence it's harder, the, the patterns and thought process become more ingrained, and it's harder to get help. Finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about the way that we are raised. And sometimes when we're tackling problems with our children, we have to look at some of our own adverse experiences growing up. And sometimes that involves us working on them in order for us to be happier and well-adjusted and in order to parent our child better. Sometimes parents have a child that's in their dreams. Kelly spoke eloquently in her social media about when you have a child 
you have all these dreams for them. You think that they're going to accomplish all these great things and being amazing people. And they are. But sometimes we have a child in our dreams and we have to reconcile the child in our dreams with our child in reality. And sometimes the person that the kid that's sitting in front of you is, is a wonderful kid. He's an artist. He's a dreamer. He, but he's not the athlete that you have in your mind, or he's not the super academician that you have in your mind, but he's wonderful nonetheless. So I want you all to think about that the child of your dreams and the child in front of you are often wonderful people, but you just have to accept the child in front of you. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Kelly and I have been at the crossroads of understanding how big of an issue this is. And we are getting our minds around what, where to go with the Sunrise Project next. We also have heard you all talking to us that you want an out, the same kind of outlet for girls. And we just want you to know that we hear you. And I want to just stop there. And I want to see if anyone has a question or wants to add any comment. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for those pointers. Lots to think about. I'm a teacher. And um, I really was excited when you talked about listening to teachers because we do see a lot of students. And one of the reasons I'm on the call is because I know that I'm experiencing some of these traumas, you know, these situations in my classroom and with my students and with other students who may not be in my class. And you, you talk about listening to the teachers, but I'm, I'm wondering how to start that conversation with a parent without overstepping? Um, you know, it's a gender issue. And, and, and um, one of the things that I see is, and, I, and I'm speaking about now, is that when you speak to a parent, particularly in some um, minority and, and children of color communities, is that there is a, you know, there are some barriers there because you're so fearful that something may be wrong or you're so on guard against various racial incursions that you think that the education might um, have that you just don't, you're wary of advice. But what I always do is I try to talk to the parents in a non-stress way. So I personally would suggest to you that you don't open the dialogue in a parent-teacher conference. But what I would do is to ask the parent, would they like to sit down because you've seen some things and you would love to work with them on helping their child be more functional and help their child be happier. You might want to involve the counselor if you have access to counseling services in your school because sometimes the counselor can be supportive. What I would not suggest is that you try to meet with them in a group. I mean, obviously you know all these things because you're in the classroom, but a lot of times I, I would just suggest to just say, you know, I've seen some things and I, want, I would love to sit down and speak with you. Here are some times that I have. And like sit down in a non-stressed environment to have that conversation. Now, that doesn't mean that your advice will always be accepted. And sometimes it, you know, many times it won't be. But I feel like that if as a teacher you've, you've made the effort, in many instances, that's all you can do. Okay, thanks. Anyone else? Good morning. I got on this call and was very excited for it because I have a son that I believe has and continues to suffer with mental illness, but also has gone the route of addiction. He's not a teenager. He's not 20. 
he's actually 36. And I'm just wondering if the Sunrise Project would be helpful for me dealing with a young man, not a young child, in terms of seeking, you know, um, support uh, for what I'm going through, me and my other children who are also young, young adults, and um, just some ideas or thoughts about how to help him. Well, watch our topics to see if the topics will be pertinent to you. I also think that many will be because we're going to talk about the impact on families when there's mental illness, what to do when there are comorbidities, which is to say mental illness plus something else, which is, in your case, an addiction. Also, on a heart level, I think that um, joining us and watching the topics and see if they're pertinent to you will help give you a source of support. Because what I think happens is that we're all in our homes and we're thinking we're the only people that are going through this. And what I want to leave you with is that that's not the case. And so I think that you could use us as a source of support. Thank you very much. Yeah, I would just share what's been beautiful is that several people have reached out saying, I really need help with X, Y, Z, or could we please talk about you know, my son's best friend just committed suicide. I don't know how to help my son right now. So I do believe there's power and a wonderful spirit in supporting each other and even sharing your mm -hmm. story so some of us can learn from you. What you've experienced with your 36-year-old son could be right. very helpful for others like myself who have a 17-year-old going through this. Okay. Thank you so much. And I will try my best to be as supportive as I can. I don't know how I can because I'm going through so much, but hopefully just hearing my story, just sharing will be helpful. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you, Dr. McGee and Kelly for doing this. This is really fantastic and, and such an important dialogue. I have a question about the difference between depression, sort of diagnosable depression, clinical depression, and being depressed you know, sort of having a kid with big feelings who takes things hard and kind of goes into the dumps and in periods, um, who's seen clinicians who have said to him, yeah, you know, I don't think you're just suffering from depression. I think you were just depressed. And I don't understand that. So I'd just be interested okay. in hearing your thoughts about how to make those distinctions so that when those conversations happen between me and him, I have greater clarity. So I think this is a question of degree, right? Because there are some people that have clinical depression and the signs and symptoms, sadness, irritability, not sleeping, not eating, or sleeping too much, uh, sleeping, uh, eating too much, all of the signs of traditional anxiety, if you see them, it's more than likely, and you see them for longer than a prescribed period of time, more than a few weeks, then chances are it's a diagnosable disorder. But you can have a child who just might have what they call just sort of low level pessimism. And that too, that is continuous, that too is a diagnosable disorder, right? It's called dysphoria. So if you have like this kid who doesn't see the bright side of things, and who is pessimistic and bah humbug-like and that kind of persona, that too is diagnosable, but it's sort of a lower level that exists underneath depression, but that's diagnosable also. But you might be dealing with a kid who tends toward a sort of a depressive response that's not necessarily diagnosable. It doesn't drag out as long. It doesn't go as deep, meaning that the depression and the sadness doesn't dip as low. But even if they don't check off the clinical diagnoses, it is still problematic and uh, likely not beneficial and not adaptable to always view and orient your world from the negative perspective and from the 
this is never going to happen. I'm going to all, it's these doomsday scenarios that kids sometimes run through their head who clinicians don't diagnose with depressive, but still need help to cope with. And in terms of you being able to manage and deal with him and keep a close relationship as he grows up, you might need support even if it's not diagnosable. Does that get to your question? When I see these moments of depression, they last, you know, a week or they last two weeks or they last whatever they last. I wonder if that therefore makes you more subject to clinically diagnosed depression and just how to think about that. But, th- but what you said is very helpful and right on point. Like I said, this calls not for the purposes of clinical diagnosis, but sometimes kids just orient that way and they may or may not be depressed. And I would say that it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll develop clinical depression, but if you do develop clinical depression, your likelihood of developing more episodes of clinical depression increased dramatically. So if he's not, diagnosis clinically depressed, but he is depressive, it doesn't mean that he will get clinically depressed. But if clinical depression does develop, your likelihood of having another episode of clinical depression rises exponentially. Thank you. Okay, I have a question. So the biggest challenge that I've had has been to navigate this process with my husband. We're not always on the same page regarding treatment and he often perceives this as a personal attack against him not knowing how to raise his son Mm -hmm. so when you're dealing with this level of even agreeing on what the treatment needs to be how do you do this when you're not the only person making decisions one and two when you're a female trying to decide on behalf of a male as my practice is a lot dealing with parents of my clients I can say that this is an issue that comes up in at least 50% of the cases. There is some disagreement between the parents about the course of treatment. Oftentimes, but not all the time, there is the male who is resistant to proceeding with treatment, either with treatment, medication, whatever the recommendation is. This is a tough issue. I try to get the parent who disagrees into my office so that the wife is not going home and translating what I said to her husband. I try to get the husband to come in either with his wife or separately to have a conversation about where he is, what his objections are, and to give those objections respect, but to explain and to sort of help them understand that if you get this child help, he won't be under a lifetime stigma. Treatment can help because a lot of people, especially minority cultures, are biased against therapy. But finally, what I do, in addition to working with the person over a period of time to gain trust with them, is that I ask them about how they got to this point. You know, I I validate their feelings and to urge them to talk to me about their objections and to talk to me about the pain that's underneath the objections. Because a lot of times we're just so fearful. A lot of times parents are traumatized themselves. And frankly, sometimes the parents might be depress themselves. And so you think that you're the only person that's suffering from it. And I help parents understand your neighbor is suffering from the same thing. And if the embarrassment factor worth not getting your child treatment, when over the long run, treatment can help your child cope with either depression or anxiety or more serious mental illness. So, I mean, it's a process and it's not always easy but I think it's worth the effort. And sometimes if we're just gonna be very honest here, the uh, non-objecting parent finds ways to get the treatment and help without 100% consensus with their spouse. Ultimately, the, the person gets to control whether or not they're going to get treatment. One of the hard things about having an adult with a mental illness and or an addiction is that he has to decide at some point that he's going to get treatment. 
and he's going to accept treatment. And this is one of the hardest things for a parent who sees that child as a loving, capable being and to see them be destructive, refuse help, and go through failures over and over again. As a parent, it's just completely heartbreaking. So that is a different dynamic and one that requires a different set of advice. And there are avenues and places that help people with that process. But it's, it's an issue that's coming up more and more in my practice with 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds who are not moving forward. And the parent fatigue level is high. And stress level is very high. When you have that 24-year-old who's still in your home, who's not getting treatment. But I want to encourage and urge you all to continue to try within that understanding that the person who's under the control of addiction may not be receptive to it. But it's a different dynamic. And I think that we should have a call on adult children. I was going to say the same thing. I love that comment. And thank you for that. And I want to say one other thing to the person that who's a life coach and education consultant out of Atlanta. She has adult children that have gone through this. And so could you um, maybe address this? Sure. Good morning. I'd just like to honor all of you for having the courage to have this conversation. While I am an education consultant and a life coach, I'm really speaking from personal experience right now. And it is been a journey. I have three sons. My oldest is 24. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and it's been a journey. He was diagnosed at age 19, and I'm not a doctor, so our expert can uh, chime in, but there are several factors for our family that came about, and primarily it was DNA. He was genetically disposed on his father's side, and also there were several traumas that triggered it at around the age 19 where he, we realized that he was actually manic for the for previous 18 months. And so for me, which is part of why I'm in the area of business that I'm in, is that we honored our son in who he was. And my now ex-husband was in very much denial. And through this process in our communities and then also culturally, so I'm a Black American, Jamaican, 50-something-year-old woman, and, you know, all the stigmas, all the stereotypes of the things that come about with mental health illness in our communities um, were just exasperated. But I decided to celebrate um, the goodness and understand the process that he was going through. Um, Unfortunately, my son um, attempted suicide. He was missing for a few days. He has used self-medicated. He's never been hospitalized. And um, at some point, I want him to come on the call uh, sooner than later. Uh, The medications that he was on really put him in a bad way. And ladies and gentlemen, all I can say to you is that I was just obedient and listening to him, which is extremely hard when he's when he was having episodes. So I know what you all are going through and the hot and the warm, not understanding developmentally what he was going through. Mm-hmm. He has two siblings and what was very important to me, which I know that I think one of you shared that have siblings, is to let them know that it was a dis-ease as opposed to just behavior and character issues. Right. And that as you would treat someone who had cancer, that we have to look at the diagnoses and what it is and educate yourself, educate yourself. Um, And then lastly, for me was, I was just fully present. I was exhausted. I cried a lot. I still cry, not just for him because he's in a much better space, but I also cried and cried for, for our children and, and our adults who were not diagnosed in an earlier stage of their lives. I will say this, we have to medicate, whether it's through holistic practice and or a combination of medicine, because you have to look at this as a disease. And 
I'm sure Kelly will have other topics to talk about the holistic approaches, and I have a lot of information on that. We're just in a time where, where our children and young adults are finally able to be their authentic self, and really we have to be on the side of relearning and understanding their approaches. And what I mean by that is my son, when he attempted suicide, announced it on social media. Mm-hmm. It was a cry for help mm-hmm. after an attempt. And ladies, it was a wonderful experience. And I was mortified that he shared that. But the way that his peers responded and the way that they got accountability partners in place and things, it was incredible to me. And the person who saved his life, uh, he was in Philadelphia and um, was on a bridge and was about to jump, Mm -hmm. was a young man saw him and said, hey, and snapped him out of what he was about to do. And the young man knew what he was about to do and just talked to him in a very average way. I got a call, and then my youngest son, my youngest son, who I've been educating and supporting in this process, is the one who talked to him and supported him and loved him, not for one day, not for one hour, but for three months they spoke every day for several mm-hmm. times a day. And he is the one that saved his life. So we have a lot of work to do on re-educating ourselves um, and unfortunately becoming practiced in this process of how do we support our students, our loved ones, and our family members. I can't thank you enough for contributing to this discussion and sort of bringing all together some of the things that have come up on this call. Your first thing is educating ourselves that if your child is suffering from a mental illness, it's not a character flaw. Some of the things that parents come in to say to me is their child's lazy or they try to blame it on character. And it's not, as you said before, if you had a child with diabetes, you would take them to the doctor religiously And I tell the parents, this is the exact same thing. Two, it's just that what you were talking about underlying everything is the nurture and the love, right? It's like you can't be punitive with children. You have to continue to nurture them through their traumas and their trials. And third is a a really important point is that DNA, unfortunately, is very important. Um, When you talk about bipolarity, bipolar disease, um, it has a high inheritance rate. It is the most heritable mental health disorder out there and one of the most inheritable illnesses out there, period, even when you cover physical illness. So, you know, if you have a a parent or someone in your ancestry who has bipolar, you have a 60% chance of having your child either have bipolar or what we call unipolar, which is just depression. So, you know, unfortunately, DNA is very important. But if you know this, you can arm yourself. And they seek treatment early because they know, well, my husband's mother has bipolar. I just want to be on alert. I just want to be vigilant. So if you know that you have a family history, whether or not it's diagnosed or not, because many in the African-American community, they don't have diagnosis. But when I say to you, is anyone in your family been diagnosed? People always say no. But then when I say, is there anyone in your family who has any kind of unusual history? Then they say, oh yes, oh so-and-so, I have an uncle who didn't leave his room. Or, you know, they, they describe the signs of mental illness. I think you hit at the heart of it in the way that only a parent who's gone through it has can do. Thank you so much. <laughs> can I ask a, one more question though? Um, sure. How do you tell the difference? And maybe this is, you know, me also the Jamaican on the call. How do you tell the difference between a mental issue and a child who's just struggling with addiction because they are being irresponsible? 
and it is a character issue. I know that sounds a horrible question in this in no, non-judgmental I mean, group, but I'm talking it's, about my it's, kids. It's not, a, it's not a horrible question because I get it every day. The best thing that I can say to you about this is I very rarely see just kids that are just lazy or just irresponsible. I think that I mean, I mean, those that are in the throes of like some serious addiction or some serious mental illness, uh, I very rarely see that they are used, those symptoms are usually a sign of something, right? You know, um, whether it's getting thrown out of the classroom because they might have an illness or they might have a learning issue. So I just urge you to be detectives with your children. I often have parent mom come in usually, I have to say typically it's the mom, bring in the, all the report cards, bring in all the testing. And I just sort of sit and talk with them 75 minutes to sort of uncover like all this cold language, right? Uh, I'm, I started off my profession in working with kids with learning disorders. So a, a lot of the time, the, um, the kid might have a learning disorder and it's never been diagnosed. I have diagnosed uh, children, black and white, with learning disorders when they're in the, the middle of an Ivy League education for the first time. So I will say to you, it's just be a detective. If, if you talk to me or you talk to an expert or you talk to someone and you get some advice, well, you know, okay, we do need to work on some of these irresponsibility issues. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. But I'm saying to you, a lot of times it's a sign of something else. Does that make sense? Completely. Thank you. Good morning. Linda, or Dr. McGee, I have a, a question for you. Linda's because morning. I too, I, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> thank you. Um, my pediatrician is one that doesn't want to automatically just um, start administrating any kind of medication to direct either way and made the recommendations of getting the genetic testing. Mm -hmm. It took two visits or so before we, we suggested that. But of course, you know, years ago, 40 years ago, we didn't talk, especially in black families, we didn't even talk a lot about mental illness, let alone try to get somebody any kind of help. So I think the genetic testing is very important, especially when you are, you know, a lot of these medications that they give create the depression, the suicidal thoughts and, and things like that. What is the medical community doing to make that type of testing more accessible? because it's not covered by insurance. And for a lot of times, it's not brought up to people that are going through the throes because it's not covered. So it's not a normal um, practice to, to administer. And I even got a letter from the company, you know, kind of being, saying, I'm sorry that your insurance company isn't, um, isn't taking this on, you know, for you to help you in your current situation. So is the medical community rallying around that level of testing now, or what so, are they doing to, to help families? What I'm seeing is, is that the genetic testing and the um, chemical, biochemical testing that, that is being performed is being performed more frequently, and it's being used primarily to help psychiatrists be able to correctly identify medications that might best work where the, the child might have side effects or adverse reactions. Um, obviously, one of the primary purposes is to prescribe a medicine that actually helps in the mood disorder without increasing suicidal thoughts. Um, so I'm seeing the advent of uh, more genetics and um, molecular testing for those purposes. Now, I will say this. Some of it, I think, especially the ones that the psychiatrists used in order to help uh, help them to um, figure out what meds to prescribe, I think are useful. But some of them, um, some of the testing is still being studied. And some of it, some of the efficacy for some of the um, studies are, are still, the jury's still out. But it's being used more and more. What I am also seeing is that it's being offered at a premium. So if you have insurance like there's a psychiatrist that i work with in bethesda maryland and he offers the testing for 200 dollars in addition to your copay and you know 200 it's a, it's a lot of money i will say but it's not prohibitive and i think that we're working toward um, a system where it is covered 
And I think as more and more people ask for it and are aware of it, um, they will get it. But I will say that some of it I feel is useful and some of it I feel like the jury's still out on. Thank you. Hello, I have a question. I spend a lot of time with families and students as a consultant to school districts. And some of the feedback and questions, you know, that I, I, I hear uh, parents talking about is the fear associated with the outburst when they don't recognize their, their child and being afraid to bring um, law enforcement into the situation because, you know, that can go down a very slippery slope or, rec or trying to recognize when to provide the intervention and not wait too long because we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, we're going to just pray about it, we're going to just pray about it, but then not um, acting and making sure that we get the resources and help that we need um, in these situations. What, what suggestions or thoughts do you have regarding that? So when you have a child who has behavioral outbursts, you have a kid who is frustrated beyond all measure. If you can get inroads, and, and usually I will say this is not easy, but what I usually try to do in my work and what I know other people do in their work, especially grounded in some behavioral theories, you try to shorten the outbursts, figure out what the ramp up is, which is like, what are the triggers? And you try mm -hmm. to work with the triggers because once the kid is in full meltdown, it's really hard to control them. So when you see that this kid is really gets really upset when you try to force them to do group activities, and so you're, someone has come in and try to make it, this child participate and you see them ramping up. As a teacher and as a parent, what you try to do is you inform the teachers or you, you as the teacher, you sort of quickly intervene, give him his space apart from everybody so that you can sort of try to attack the behavior before it becomes full ramp up. So you have to get help because you can't just pray it away it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better usually without intervention. Now, I want to say one last word. I am very sensitive to calling in law enforcement. And to be honest with you, over the decade or so, decade and a half that I've been a psychologist, I am bringing in law enforcement less and less. Because I find them to be oftentimes not trained usually law enforcement to me is a last resort. Thank you so much for that. I have one more question and this oh, should sure. be quick. Yes. Um, is, would you be able to post on your website a list or some additional resources of counselors, psychologists, or psychiatrists that might be available for treatment? What we can do is to um, give you, there's some like, uh, some networks that already exist for finding therapists, like Psychology Today, and you can put in search words for teenagers, you can put search words for cultural groups or religious groups. There is uh, Black Girls Need Therapy, Black Boys Needing Therapy search engines. There are all kinds, there are local ones to the DC area, and I think there's one in Atlanta. So we can post those resources. And I do think, and I would love to just pick, just say, yes, we can do that for sure. And I also would love to post specific people that we know, um, yeah. you know, Linda's one, there's several others, and there's people all over the country, a bunch of folks that right. specialize in black children. So we can do that. And absolutely, I love that idea. Appreciate you asking. And We'll absolutely do that. So a mixture of what Linda just talked about, as well as additional resources for people that we recommend and that also, we've either worked with or, you know, I have a long list of people I've worked with. Yep. And ahead, I Linda. also urge you to go and tell the person when you're going to look for someone for your child or look for someone for you to help you with your child, tell them that you are interviewing therapists. Do not just pick the first one go and just get a session, ask them how much it is. Sometimes people will consult for free, but interview them first. Do not just hire them. 
make sure that or, or try to ensure that you have a fit before you hire them. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say this, this information is invaluable, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, and I just thank you so much for your commitment to this project. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody who shared today. And I just want to close um, this call and say there will be more information on the site. Um, really appreciate everybody calling in. Thank you so much, Linda, for your wisdom. I'd like to close this call today with a prayer. How comforting is it to know that wherever we go, God is there with us. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and wonder if God is paying attention. We may feel so alone and sometimes even depressed. We cannot feel God's presence and we need his guidance and help. The wonderful truth is we don't have to feel all alone. God is with us. He's working out the problems and we don't even realize it. He is with us leading us, guiding us, loving us, providing for us, all with his unlimited resources. We need only to always walk with the assurance by faith that we are going with him to receive what he has for us. It is essential we realize how much he loves us and that he has a good purpose and plan for us. We can trust God. No matter what is going on in our lives, he is there. God goes where we go. So go with God today and always. Amen. Thank you so much for the Amen. 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 We'll be Thank back you. Week. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you, Kelly. Love you. You too. Bye-bye. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.